Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. Our mission is to make disciples who are radically devoted to Christ, having both a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by a special guest. This is a name that I don't think any of you are going to be familiar with, a man by the name of Nathan Cole. He was a Connecticut farmer back in the 1700s who went and heard the Billy Graham of the 1700s, George Whitfield. He went and heard him uh, preach the gospel, and his heart was, was transformed. And after he had come to faith in Christ, this is what he said about the foundation of his life. He said this, God gave me a, a new heart. He wounded my heart. He broke my heart. And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. Jesus here comes to the end of his most famous sermon, his Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus, in in a sermon that would take you about 20 to 25 minutes to read, nothing like the sermons that I preach that usually double or triple that, Jesus was a little bit more succinct because he spoke in more powerful ways than I do. But Jesus here, coming to the end of his Sermon on the Mount, and if you want to know this sermon and, and, and a good way to invest 20 to 25 minutes of your time, read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And he comes to the end of this sermon, and this sermon that's filled with principles as to what this king stands for, this new foundation of righteousness, not self-righteousness, and this means that you will do away with the old foolish ways of living that are centered on us and our own selfishness and our own pride and our own exaltation, and now you have a new king. And Jesus here speaking to a primarily Jewish audience and Matthew writing to a primarily Jewish audience wanted his audience to understand something. His audience grew up in the old rigid, pharisaical, rule-centered, man-centered type of, of belief system that did not exalt God, but worshiped tradition. And now you're going to see here how God expects his people, to live out wisdom in their lives. And Jesus brings this sermon to a close, as every good sermon should do. He brings the sermon to a close by calling for a decision. And he brings it to a close by illustrating two different men. Two different men who built two different houses on two different foundations. One, and you know the song, well, you know, the ones on sinking sand, the ones on solid rock. And here's the interesting thing about this. Both of these houses look secure. Both of them seem livable. They might even both look nice. But the difference is not in the surface. The difference is in the foundation. One has a deep foundation. The other is built on seeking sand. You don't look to the surface. You have to look beneath the surface. So let me begin. Before I get into the text, I want to ask you this question today. What is the foundation of your life? What would you say it is today? I think after we look at this text, we might want to reconsider how we'd answer that. And for some of us here today, you might have to say, you know, I thought it was Christ, but really it's not. Based on the decisions I'm making, the trajectory of my life, 
If you were to examine my life and inspect my heart, maybe I could not honestly say that the foundation of my life right now is Christ. Notice how Jesus closes his message here. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 7. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And then verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Now, what does it mean to build your life on a solid foundation? Now, according to Jesus, it's not just about knowing a lot of theological facts or even being able to quote a lot of scripture. According to Jesus, and this will be the central truth, the real big idea I want you to take home with you today from this message. According to Jesus, obedience to the words of Jesus is what distinguishes the wise person from the foolish one. The way Jesus' original audience would have understood storms, they would have understood it referring to judgment. Think of passages like Ezekiel 13. But what Jesus does with it is he connects storms with the stuff of life that we all go through. The pains, the trials, the griefs, the sorrows, the abandonment, the betrayals of life that we go through. How many of you can, can at least tacitly relate to some of those things? We all go through these. It's, it's, it's the universal struggles of life. But Jesus here is going to tie something together. Jesus wants you to consider what is the wise man and what is the foolish man. And it's not so much what they know. That's important. But it goes deeper than that. It gets down to what you do with the knowledge that you do know. So let's consider today three ways to build this solid foundation of life. I, I just don't have a lot of conversations with people who tell me, you know, Mike, I'd, I'd really love to make a lot of foolish decisions with my life. I'd really like to make some catastrophic errors that could, that, that could really cost my marriage and cost my testimony. So how do we avoid those things? This is a great passage to look at. The first way you look at this is to act on what you learn. Jot that down. Act on what you learn. Look again at verse 24, if you would. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. This is an interesting Sunday for me because this is the first Sunday I've ever been to Harvest where I did not have Don Anderson greeting me at the door. And Sunday after Sunday, I would come here and then when, when you all would graciously have us come back and I would preach, Don would always greet me there. And here would be Don. A very, by every, every dynamic you take of this man's life, educationally, professionally, spiritually, this was a very successful man. But he would always come up to me with this, this, his arms wide open, a big smile, and he'd say, Mike Hess, it's so good to see you. 
and he'd come and he'd give me this big hug. And I think back to one Sunday many years ago, I was preaching for Pastor Scott. We were in the old auditorium. I was a deacon at the time. I had a key to the church building. And the church building had an alarm that I never set right. And that Sunday morning, if you know me, I tend to be like super early to everything. I was the first one in the church building. And I walk in and I set the alarm and I set it incorrectly. So I walk in, I'm in the old auditorium preparing, getting some things. And Don walks up to me, he had that calm, controlled demeanor about him. And Don came up to me, he goes, Mike, holding my shoulders. I prayed for you today. I pray that God would use you in a great way. My understanding is, is you just set the alarm for the church. And as you did the last time, you said it wrongly. And because of that, Mike, on a day you preach, the police are coming and they're going to want to question you. So here's what I'm going to do for you. He said, you go over there and you prepare yourself to preach the word. And I'm going to go and I'm going to go deal with the police. God bless you, Mike. I hope you have a great day. Now, here's my point with all of this. Don came to the end of his life, and he was calm. He was at peace. And and I would imagine there really wasn't a whole lot of regret there. And you know why? Why is that? Because his life was built on the foundation. And that foundation was not his education, his patents, his position at work. His foundation is the one foundation that will stand through the trials and tests of life, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved us and came and died for our sins and rose again from the dead. And as a result of that, all of those who come to faith in Christ, no matter what their educational background, their ethnic background, their cultural background, if they come to Christ and they turn from their self-righteousness and they turn to him alone in sincere remorse, turning alone to Jesus Christ, God grants them eternal life, forgiveness of sins. God declares you righteous, which means, you know, I can declare myself righteous. That doesn't mean anything. What matters is that God declares me righteous. And he adopts you into his family. He gives you new life. And he gives you this sure foundation. This one sure foundation that can never be broken. And that brings us to our text here. Jesus presents here to his audience, this Jewish audience, two builders built two houses. On the surface, it's not that big of a deal, but if you've ever been to Israel, when it rains, it's like a torrential downpour. It's a very strong rain. And Jesus' words here connect to life. This word wise in, in Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 12, verse 48, the word here means shrewd. It's the Greek word phronimos, which means to be very shrewd, to be very prudent about life. And Jesus wants his followers to know the difference between a wise individual and a foolish individual is basically this. How do they go about building their life? How do they go about making decisions? How do they go through life and deal with the storms of life? Look with me at Luke chapter 6 here, verses 47 through 48. Let's read this together as a church. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep 
and laid the foundation on a rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke, and that house could not shake it because it had been built well. A few years ago, there was that National Geographic show called Storm Chasers. That makes no sense to me at all. Who chases a tornado? These guys chase a tornado. Normally, we run from them. I've lived through one tornado in my life. Some of you might have lived through it. The tornado of August 1990. How many of you remember that? I never want to live through that again. These guys chase these tornadoes. But what Jesus here is saying, not necessarily to run from the storm, but here's what we need to do. Be prepared. Be ready. How can you be ready? It deals with your foundation. And it would have been very possible for Jesus' audience then and us today to come to the end of this sermon and say, I agree with this. I admire it. I respect it. I wish I could live up to it. I'll memorize it and not submit to it. What is God's will for you today? God's will for me today? It's to submit to the truth of his word. Jesus' point here is not that you respect it. Jesus' point here is not even that you admire it. His point here is that we would submit to this. Then and only then will we have the solid foundation of life that we need. It never comes through stuff. It never comes through money. It never comes through people. It comes through Christ. And that's why everything in Christianity has to be centered around Christ. And you could come to church week after week and you hear Pastor Scott preach messages and you walk away and say, I agree with this. And I know things need to change in my life. And I know decisions need to be made and yet you walk out and you're frustrated maybe. You go home and the mouth isn't as clean as you'd like it to be. The computer images keep coming up by willful decisions that you're making. You're not being gracious with your wife. You're not being gracious with your spouse. Your time in the word continues to lack. And it could be, maybe there's a person even in this auditorium today that you need to reconcile with and maybe go and ask for forgiveness. And there's relational distance and tension that's there that doesn't have to be there and you keep putting it off. Friend, the difference between the foolish person and the wise person is that they act on the word of God. They do something about it. And it all comes down to our foundation. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, if you would, verse 11. Let's read this together. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Your life has to be centered on Christ, built on Christ, where your hope is on Christ. Because it comes down, the wise person and the foolish person, not intellect, not academic background, Not your social ability, but it comes down to this. How do we submit to his words? Let's look at the second principle we learn from this. And it's to learn from the fool. How can we learn from a foolish person? Look at verse 26, if you would. And now notice it seems almost identical to verse 24. Notice the difference. Look at at your Bible. And Jesus said this in verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the what? On the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came 
and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Now, if you pay careful attention, it doesn't seem like his words are that different from verses 24 through 25, but here's the key difference. Not replaces does. Fool replaces wise, and sand replaces rock. You differentiate those three words and you get those wrong, friend, what you end up with is a big mess in life. Those those three words make all the difference. The man described here is the one who hears this sermon. He might even say, yes, this is great. Might even amen it. Might even say, I agree with this. But what happens, he doesn't act on it. He doesn't submit to it. Reminds me of the words of Jesus here in John 13. We'll look at this, and it reminds me of what Jesus did the night before he died. Last week, we celebrated Good Friday, and I can remember Jesus' upper room discourse from John 13 to John 17. What was Jesus like the night before he died? There's no self-pity. He's not living in fear. He knew he would go and lay down his life for us. So what does Jesus do the night before he dies, a a torturous, cruel death for us? What does he do? John 13, he serves. Were Jesus' disciples deserving men? Am I deserving of God's grace? Are you deserving of God's grace, friend? What did Jesus do? He served. And after he washed the smelly, undeserving feet of his disciples, What did he say in John 13, verse 17? Read these words with me, if you would. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. What does the word blessed mean? It means happy. There's no happiness doing life our way. We've all tried it. There's no happiness chasing the stuff and the things of life, thinking that's ultimately going to satisfy us. It's not going to happen. Reminds me of James 4, verse 17. Let's look at these words together and read out loud. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is a bad idea. What does it say there, friends? Sin. If we know to do it and we don't act on that, for us, we're accountable. It's sin. The word foolish here is an interesting word. It's the Greek word maros, where we get our English word moron from. And it literally means stupid. It just means you make a lot of silly, stupid decisions in life. And you find here three characteristics I want to highlight of the foolish person that Jesus highlights here. The first one is this, is the fool is a very impatient person. The fool had no time for the foundation of the house. The fool was in a rush. And here's a fool today. They want instant gratification. What will make me feel good right now? And when you have that mindset, friend, you know what's going to happen? You take shortcuts. You're going to take shortcuts spiritually. You're going to take shortcuts relationally. And when you do that, it may not seem this way right now, but down the road, you're going to have a lot of regret in life. And I don't say that to give you a bad motivation with that. Please understand, friend, it's the person who fears God, who has the big picture in life. Remember, Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 10.9. It's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of what, church? Wisdom. That's where we get wisdom. We fear God. And when we fear God, Proverbs 8 teaches us, that's where the hatred of evil begins. 
when we fear the Lord. But the fool is an impatient person. They don't realize things take time, especially the foundation of life. How many of you are married here? Okay, praise God. Look at all these marriages here. What an awesome thing. How many of you who are married are willing to admit with your spouse here that good, solid, Christ-like marriages take a long time to build? How many of you would agree with that? I mean, I don't think anyone here who's been married, Christina and I, when we first came here, we were just married maybe three, four years. Now we've been married like 22 years. Can you believe that? And, and I didn't get to like year 20 and say, you know what? I don't need any more help. I've got this down, Pat. Everything is down, man. We are beyond the point of needing to grow in our marriage. It takes time. Amen, husbands and wives? It takes time. And we'd all say today, look, we're still not where we want to be, but by God's grace, we're not where we used to be. God is growing us. How many parents we have here? How many parents? How many parents would say raising children is like super easy? We don't need a church. We don't need pastors. We don't need the Bible. I just need the world. I need, I need my kids' sports teams. I need school. I need this. But I don't need those other things. Friends, how many of you realize raising kids is an incredibly arduous task? How many parents would openly admit that? If you're like me, being a parent, I have had a ton of trial and error, more error than, than anything. And because learning how to be a godly parent takes a lot of time. How many here today would say, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you know Christ as your Savior, and, and you believe with all of your heart that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again from the dead, and, and you know Christ alone as your Savior. Say amen to that. Okay, praise God. But how many of you who are Christians would say growing in Christ has been a lot more difficult and a lot slower of a process than you thought it would be? How many of you would openly admit that? Like, nobody here would say, this has been easy. I've had no problems at all. Friend, in wisdom, in biblical wisdom, you understand things take time. We have to be patient as we wait on the Lord. The fool doesn't have a good foundation because the fool is not willing to build the right foundation that takes a lot of time. The second characteristic is this, is the fool refuses to listen. He simply refuses to listen. Listen to Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, which means nobody can talk to him or her. They, They just won't listen to anybody. But... A wise man listens to advice. You know what the word listens in Hebrew means? Listens. They listen to advice. If a wise person comes to you as you're building the foundation of life and they see problems there and they see things that are just out of whack, especially if they're a very godly person, friend, you need to listen. You need to listen. I don't know anybody who says, I love being rebuked. I love it when people confront me. But there have been some very difficult conversations in my life that God has used because God gave the grace, not because of me, but because of God, that because those conversations took place, God literally saved my life because some loving Christian came alongside me and warned me about some dangerous trajectories in my life 
And God used that in my life. Now, friend, you might have that today. Christians come alongside you. I'm not talking about busybodies or gossips or those who are just nosy. What I'm talking about are those who lovingly come alongside you and say, hey, can I, can I speak to you in love? Can I share some biblical truth with you? Because I love you and I value you as a brother or sister in Christ. And I see some danger spots here. You can ignore that. Or we can listen. The wise person does what? Proverbs 12, 15. They listen. They listen to advice. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a, probably one of the most famous pastors of the 20th century. Pastored in Great Britain. He was a medical doctor that eventually became a pastor. And he wrote this. The wise man is anxious to know the right way to do things. And so he listens to instruction and is prepared to be taught. So if you want to be a wise person, ask your heart a real honest question today. Am I a teachable person? Am I teachable? When somebody sees the foundation of my life that's not right, do I let others speak into my life? Number three is this. The fool doesn't think long term. He wasn't thinking about bad storms. He wasn't thinking about the waves slamming against his house. He ignores future accountability before God. It's just the here and now. But the wise Christian has a big picture. Namely this. I hope even today, this morning, you're thinking of the fact, each and every one of us who knows Christ, we will stand before God and give an account of our lives. Friend, does that at the very least cause butterflies in your stomach? We're not fearful of judgment for sin that happened at the cross. But we're aware of the fact we will stand before him and give an account of our lives. We can't call off that day. We can't run from that. We have to stand before our master. The fool doesn't think about that. They think only of the here and now. No big picture. And friends, because it all comes down to this, obedience to the words of Jesus is what distinguishes the wise person from the foolish one. You know, our world is made up of individuals who are just drifting, drifting, going with culture, going with the flow. But I think we all realize this today. You never drift your way into obedience. You never drift your way into being faithful to a local church. You never drift your way into a solid marriage. You never drift or just kind of float your way into a solid devotional life where you're walking closely with God. It simply doesn't happen that way. It's like, a, it's like a stream of water. It always goes downstream. And I want to encourage you today, if you're someone who is drifting and you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, I'm not here to manipulate or give you some undue burden or some sort of unbiblical pharisaical guilt trip. I want to give you real true gospel hope today. And here's the gospel hope. If you have drifted away from God, God still loves you. And God is a gracious God. And he's merciful to people like me, to people like you. And God is good in the fact that if you draw near to God, James 4, 7, and 8, what will happen? God will draw near to you. This is not something you want to procrastinate on and say, I'm going to put that off in my calendar today, friend, today. You live long enough, you realize tomorrow's not promised, just as scripture teaches. And life will always happen the way the Bible says it will happen. 
Whether you want to accept that or not, life will always happen the way the Bible says life will happen. So that means tomorrow's not promised. Our next breath is not promised. But what you need more than anything today, it's not the new job. It's not the new spouse. It's not the new house. It's not a new body. Praise God as Christians, we'll have one of those one day. Amen? It's not that. What you need is a solid foundation. And God offers that to you today. There's an old hymn written in the 1800s, I believe, written by Ruth K. Jones. Some of you will recognize this. And it goes this way. In times like these, we need a Savior. How many of you would say, I'm so glad I have a Savior? In times like these, we need an anchor. Be very sure. Be very sure. What can I be sure about today? The stock market, my health, what can I be sure about? Can you be sure about politics in Washington? Can you even be sure about Bitcoin? Can we be sure about the Cubs? Let's move on to the next point. What can we be sure about? Be very sure, there's one, and that is Christ, crucified, buried, risen again, coming again. We can be sure on that. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. This rock is Jesus. Yes, he's the one. This rock is Jesus, the only one. Be very sure. Be very sure. Your anchor holds and grips the solid rock. Everyone has an anchor today. Everybody. But it's not for everyone that they can honestly say, my anchor is Christ. Why is it that some, when they go through the storms of life and the trials of life, there seems to be such a peace and a calm and a joy about them as they go through that? When we left Harvest, I had never done a funeral. I had never done a wedding. I had never really done formal counseling. I haven't done any of that. Now in, in, in years of ministry, God has opened up a number of doors and opportunities where I've sat by dozens upon dozens of bedsides as people have taken their final breaths and, and done dozens upon dozens upon dozens of funerals by God's grace and, and many, many different opportunities that, that God has opened up. And, and one thing I've noticed, there's a real difference between those who have a foundation and those who do not have a foundation. And my mind today goes back to a dear elder saint in this church who at the time I never realized he had an impact on the church that I'm blessed to pastor in Southeast Iowa. A man by the name of Don Brong. Several years ago, God took him home and um, every Sunday I would come to church and Don would come up to me, a very distinguished man, and had a very firm handshake. I have a really firm handshake, a very crushing one. How many of you realize that when I've, there you go, amen. And I've been asked to kind of tame that a little bit and, and even not pat guys on the back so much, but God has blessed me with the spiritual gift of obnoxiousness, so that's, that's just a great <laughs> blessing. But Don would come up and he'd firmly shake my hand. He'd look at me and he'd say, Mike, I am praying for you. I am praying for you that God would get you into ministry. 
And, and I didn't think a whole lot about it at that time, but later on I was blessed to pastor the church I'm pastoring, and I came to find out Don was at one time our camp director in our state, our state rep, and he came to our church years ago, back in the 60s. Our church was down to just a handful of people, and Don came and helped the church when, when they were wanting to pull the plug and wanting to close the doors, and he kept encouraging them. And I remember calling him saying, uh, Don, you know, people here at this church know you. I never knew you really ministered in Iowa. All I knew when I was at Harvest was that you served your local church. And he said, ah, yes, I remember your church. He knew the street it used to meet on in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And Don, he, he gave me the whole history of my church that I didn't even know. And he said, some of the best counsel I ever got in my life. He said, Mike, Stay in love with the word of God. Stay in love with the word of God. That must be your foundation in ministry and marriage and in life. That doesn't sound like really profound counsel, but friends, boy, take heed to that. Stay in love with the word of God. And then he went on to talk about his church and he said, I'm so grateful that at my church, the pastor faithfully preaches the word of God. Are you thankful for that, friends, here at this church? Your pastor faithfully preaches the word. It's obedience to Jesus' words that determines your foundation. The fool ignores the big picture. Let's look at the third thing here. The third foundation you can build on is to recognize the authority of Jesus' words. Look at verse 28 again. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Don't miss this here. This is so important. So far in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're familiar with this, there's been no interaction, no give or take. It's just Jesus speaking. And now you find the audience's response to this. And what were they like? Well, they're comparing him to the only teachers they ever knew. That was the scribes. That was the Pharisees. And now they're amazed at what? His authority. Now here's the difference. Unlike the scribes who had to quote from authority, Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. Jesus is the living word. Jesus is truly man, truly God. And when Jesus spoke, he would say, but I say unto you. And friends, there is no higher authority than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But take note of their response. They're amazed. But how many of you realize this? Being amazed does not necessarily translate into obedience. They were astonished at the depth of his message. They were shocked at the idea of judgment. You mean judgment? The Pharisees? And with all that Jesus said here, understand this and don't miss this point. He doesn't emphasize rules here. He emphasizes the heart. When you look through the Sermon on the Mount, you look at Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the pure in what? Heart, for they shall see God. Jesus said in Matthew 5, it's it's not enough that you just don't say, "I, I haven't killed anybody. He said, if you have hatred in your what? Your heart towards your brother or your sister, you're already guilty of murder. It's not enough to say, I've, I've been faithful to my spouse. I've never touched another man or woman. Jesus said, if you even have lust in your what? 
your heart, you're guilty of adultery. This isn't about rules. This is all about our heart. And you get to Matthew 6 where he says, when you fast, when you give, when you pray, don't do it to show off, to be this spiritual boaster where everybody can see you. He said, look, take heart that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How? Openly. And we get to the end of this message. Jesus here didn't just quote scripture. He reinterprets it for them correctly. And even though they're amazed, even though they're astonished, what would be the spiritual fruit of this crowd for the most part? It'd be very superficial. They wouldn't stay with him. They wouldn't persevere with him. The teaching on the sermon of the Sermon of the Mount, as one author indicates, is not meant to be admired, but it is meant to be obeyed. Friends, Jesus did not come to be admired. He didn't come to be respected. He didn't come for you to say that, that he's just a great moral teacher and that you like a lot of what he said and he's one among many different teachers or prophets, as some say. Friends, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to be bowed to, to be worshipped, to be, the, to be believed upon, so we would turn from our sins and turn to him. And one day, in universal recognition, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is what, church? Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And I want to ask you today, do you just admire Jesus? Do you just respect him? Or would you say that you bow to him? And there's only one alternative that God gives. That's we bow to him. That's the difference between the wise man or woman and the foolish individual. What is the foundation of your life? If you make it money, I promise you, not based on my authority, but on God's, you're going to be really disappointed with life. If you're going to make it people, that the foundation of your life is going to be people, fasten your seatbelt. I'm going to tell you something you probably already know. They're going to disappoint you. Whether that be your spouse, whether it be your children, whether it be your parents, whether it be church leaders, whoever it is, friends, they're going to disappoint you. If it's your job, then what do you do when you lose your job? If it's the things of this world that you own, what do you do when you lose them? But if it's Christ, the storms of life come. And the trials of life come. And that's going to reveal what's really in this heart. Because with God, it's not about transforming the outside and the externals. We are here today to worship the true and the living God. To have our hearts transformed by his grace. His word does that. The power of the gospel does that. And friends, what it all comes down to is this. It's obedience to the words of Jesus that distinguishes the wise person from the foolish one. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit atharvest.church.